Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God. I want to talk about cause and effect of the Ten Commandments. You know, why do things happen? Is everything random? If you take the view of evolutionists, uh, they believe in uh, creation without a creator, and everything just happened randomly. Is that what the Bible teaches? Well, certainly not. And what about rules? in the Bible, like the Ten Commandments. Were these simply just random things that God imposed on people just to see what they would do? Or were they actually for people's good? You know, is there a cause for every effect? Can you actually choose to be a success or is everything just based on luck? You know, what does the Bible teach? Well, I grew up and was raised Roman Catholic and it seemed to me that the Ten Commandments when I was little, there was just some arbitrary rules. I didn't know what they really meant, didn't understand the ramifications. I just knew these are the rules, and this is the way you're supposed to do things. And if you don't do those rules right, you have to go, supposed to go confess for a priest. They tell you to um, mutter some prayers, uh, can prayers, and that, that's how it was done. But when I first got exposed to the Church of God, in this case it was the uh, Worldwide Church of God, one of the things I understood was about the commandments, that they showed love, and if you keep the Ten Commandments, they led to good, and that made sense to me. Obviously, the one who created everything would understand how people should live and how it would be best for everybody. Now, the Bible is clear, for example, the universe didn't just pop up on its own probably very familiar with Genesis chapter uh, 1. I won't read all of it, but I would like to read parts of it here. Start with verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. And the earth was, actually should be, became without form and void. We have a sermon about the, what's called the gap theory. And we see the Spirit of God moves. And in verse 3, that uh, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he said it was good, and he divided the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night, and there was evening and morning the first day. And then we see God divided various things and with the waters. And in verse uh, 10, God called the dry land earth, and the waters outside of it, he's called the seas. He saw this was good. Verse 11, grass came forth, and various uh, fruit trees and other plants. And it was so. And uh, see, so you've got signs in the heavens. Uh, verse 14. This would be for seasons. This actually has to do with holy days. This was uh, actually planned from the beginning. And verse 20, we see various creatures in the ocean and birds flying. Various sea creatures told them to be fruitful and multiply. And, you know, if you've been in the ocean, some, I've swam a few times in major schools of fish. Well, it certainly looks like they, they multiply. See, cattle and setters were created. Verse 26, God said, let, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. So, so the Godhead here is more than one being. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. 
him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the tree, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God had a plan, still has a plan, was an organized plan. Then God said, See, I've given you every herb which yields a seed which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. It should be uh, for food for you. Also, the beasts of the uh, earth and every bird of the air, and everything creeps on the earth, which there's life. I've given, uh, I, I've given every green herb for food, and so it was. And God saw everything He made, and indeed it was very good. So evening, and morning, were the sixth day, and the next uh, con- con- continuing here, just comment. Light didn't randomly occur. Day and night didn't randomly occur. The earth didn't randomly occur. Uh, the divisions between the dry land and the water didn't randomly occur. But of course, that's what uh, the evolutionist types uh, tend to say. Uh, it's interesting how they like to claim that uh, they are uh, they're scientific, and those who believe in uh, a supernatural creation are not. I'm going to hold up a booklet that we have. If this booklet and any other one I might hold up. It's available free online at www.ccog.org. That's ccog.org. Go to the literature tab under books and booklets and they'll show up. We've got a booklet called Is God's Existence Logical? Because it's totally scientific to believe in a supernatural creation. And one of the reasons I'm saying this is you need to understand there really is a God. He really did make everything. And because He really did... His rules really matter, and His way of life is the right way to go. There is a cause for every effect. But I want to lay down the foundation. The foundation is there absolutely is uh, a God. Um, this is going away from my notes a little bit. I'm going to hold up another book, and this one's actually thicker than this one. It's fairly easy to prove there's a God. It's fairly easy to prove Jesus is the Messiah, but it took me a little longer to do this because there's more scriptures uh, I think uh, along that line. But you can and should prove that there is a God and that Jesus is Messiah. That, because of that, if you, can, if you truly understand and believe that, then other things that God's Word goes into will make more sense to you. and You'd be more likely to have an act of living faith By the way, if you know life had randomly just popped up, it would have died out quickly. Uh, it would not have known it needed to, be re- to, to reproduce, by the way. It wouldn't know it needed to eat, various other complications, and it simply would not have uh, uh, continued to exist. So it only made sense that there was a creator and sustainer of the universe. Now after humans were made, the next day, Genesis 2, starting in verse 1, we read, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his works, which God had created and made. So the seven-day week, with the seventh day being the Sabbath, also was not some random thing. God blessed the Sabbath day 
over 2,000 years before the Ten Commandments were given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now I'd like to read something from an old radio broadcast uh, from the old Worldwide slash Radio Church of God by Herbert W. Armstrong. He said, there are two ways of life and humanity has been living one of those two ways. There are only two philosophies of life and only two ways we could be living. One is really based is really on the way of outflowing love, away from self, outflowing. And that is, of course, that is the way of love, first to God, secondly to neighbor. That's the way of love, which is outflowing and not incoming, which would be not love, but lust. Now, the opposite of that way, the transgressions of way of life, I like to call get. So I like to simplify these terms, the two ways of life. One I call give, just four letters, a little four little word, and it's a good four little, good four letter word, give. And the other is three letter word, get. The, way, the one is love. As I say, it's cooperation, it's humility. It's wanting to help your neighbor as yourself. It's sharing and giving and helping cooperating. Now the world has chosen the opposite way, which I'd like the term get. Just a three little letter word, G-E-T, get. That's the way of, I love me, I don't care about the other fella. Now, of course, a lot of people are looking at this and say, oh no, there's other ways. You don't have to do God's way of love. I just know how to do it naturally, and therefore, this is, this is fine. No, there's really two ways. There's God's way, and there's everything else. Satan, the devil, does exist. And yes, he wants you to do it your way or his way. Any way, except God's way. See, but there's all these different ways. There's, there's, in terms of governments, there's democracy and communism, socialism and fascism and uh, anarchy and all that stuff. There's two ways. This is God's way and every other way. Now, the Bible, if you're still in Genesis 2, we'll go down to verse 8. It shows that God planted the garden and he gave uh, Adam some instruction. So, Genesis 2, verse 8. The Lord God planted the garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also amidst the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So there was one tree that was a knowledge of good and evil and the other was a tree of life. They were both real as well as symbolic trees. The tree of life is also mentioned in uh, the New Testament, Revelation 2, 7, 22, 2, and 22, 14. That essentially symbolized the Holy Spirit. The second part of the Spirit that humans need. And that Spirit provides the impregnation of the very life of God until we become actually God beings in God's kingdom. Now, verse 15 of Genesis 2. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So, gave an assignment. Then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat 
of it, you shall surely die. Now, we've all eaten of that tree in a sense, and all are going to die, as it says in uh, Hebrews 9.27. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to die today, but you're going to die. Now, since in the Old Testament, in Psalm uh, 90, verse 4, in the New Testament, in 2 Peter 3.8, we read that uh, a thousand years is a day to God, and a day is like a thousand years. That's the day in which Adam died. He didn't live to be a thousand. He lived close. He lived 930 years, according to Genesis 5.5. 5. But he did die within that thousand-year day. Now, the information concerning the knowledge of good and evil, that tree, was also passed to Eve. And Satan was aware of that, Satan the devil. You can read something else about that in Genesis 3, uh, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, He will not surely die. So it's a lie. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She figured she knew a better way than God. And you say, well, how dumb could that be? We all do that all the time. We think that what we want to do sometimes is better than what God wants us to do. It's not. Anyway, she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. He knew better, but he did it anyway. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. If one tree looked good to Eve, in other words, took themselves the knowledge of what was good and evil. They decided for themselves which way to go, what was the right way to live. And humanity has fallen into that way ever since. Now, it was mentioned in Genesis 2, verse 9, there's another tree in the Garden of Eden that was a tree of life. But Adam and Eve hadn't chosen either that. Now, God had told them about the way to live, the way the tree of life. Reliance on the Spirit of God will give us the spiritual knowledge so we can solve spiritual problems, troubles, and evils. But Adam and Eve rejected that. And... So their offspring, which is why humans ever since have been unable to solve their problems. Now, after Adam and Eve sinned, God decided they couldn't have access to that other tree. So we can read about that starting in verse 22 of Genesis 3. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put his out his hand and also take the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed care of him at the east of the garden of Eden with a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way the tree of life. Why were they kicked out? There was a cause. There's a cause for every effect. 
There were two trees. One appealed to lust, and the other must have had less appeal to Adam and Eve. There's two ways of life. And humanity has been living one of those ways. There's only two philosophies of life that count. There's only two ways to be living. One is the way of truth, and the other is the way of mixing truth with lies. It isn't that this world doesn't have anything right. It isn't that there isn't true science. There's stuff falsely called science, as the Apostle uh, Paul warned uh, Timothy. But it's a mixture of truth and error. You see, one way is the way of truth. Everything else mixes error. Uh, God's word is truth, Jesus said in uh, John 17, 17. And God's way is the way of truth. Uh, let's go to Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm. We're going to go to verse 30. Psalm 119. Hopefully you can say this. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. And in the New Testament, we don't have to go there, but in 2 Peter 2, 2, it talks about the way of truth. Now let's go to Acts 18. The Bible shows that true Christianity was called the way in the New Testament. So let's read that, Acts 18, starting verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, which he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So he was emotional, he was going forth. But when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. This is one of the reasons why we have other books in literature. Uh, for example, I'm going to hold two of them up. Uh, while many people believe their religion is based on the Bible, Protestants, for example, claim sola scriptura, there are some scriptures they believe, but some they don't seem to understand, some that they overlook, and some that they discount. In this particular uh, free book, it's a fairly thick book, uh, Hope of Salvation, How the Continuing Church of God Differs from Protestantism, goes in explains the way of truth more clearly, more accurately. Now, of course, there are some... Um, who consider themselves various types of uh, Catholic, uh, for example, the Eastern Orthodox, uh, as well as the Roman Catholic Church, and there's other groups as well. They like to think that they've got the way of truth from the beginning. Well, if you look at what the scriptures teach, including their own translations of the Bible, which this particular book goes into, as well as early people they consider to be saints, you will find the truth more accurately. And more accurately, the reality is, uh, similar to the Protestants not following Sola Scriptura, uh, the Greco-Romans don't either, nor do they go by uh, the teachings of the truly faithful early saints. And this goes into more details so people will know if they want to know the truth more accurately.
Uh, in Acts 24, verse 22, you don't have to go there. Talk about uh, Felix. He heard, he heard these things, and he had a more accurate knowledge of the way. And it's also called the way in Acts 9.2, 19.9, 19.23, 24, 14. It's called the way of righteousness in uh, uh, 2 Peter uh, uh, 2.21. And it's called in Acts 16, verse 17, the way of salvation. Yet there is one way to salvation. Uh, let's go to... Uh, I'm going to just quote Jesus here, John 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's one way. I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15. Talked about Adam and Eve. Let's go down to verse 45. The Apostle Paul wrote, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And those who are bearing only the dust of this earth, that, that just, that's not life. But the image of the heavenly man be resurrected. There is a way to go. But is it the way you just feel? And let's go to Proverbs uh, 14. That's what a lot of people think. I do what feels right. Or I wasn't moved well enough by that sermon. So you're looking for an emotional attachment as opposed to having sufficient love for the truth. If you have sufficient love for the truth, you don't have to have a massive emotional feeling uh, from some speaker. As far as speakers go, just as a reminder, uh, there's three that come to mind. One was Moses, said he wasn't that good of a speaker, but God used him anyway. Jeremiah warned he wasn't really much of a speaker, and God used him anyway. The Apostle Paul, they said, his uh, bodily presence, they complained about his bodily presence and his speech being contemptible. They didn't like his speaking either. And so if you need somebody to move your spirit emotionally, understand that uh, Moses, Jeremiah, and Paul, to cite three examples, were not considered to be good speakers or great speakers, particularly eloquent speakers. Anyway, as far as relying on your own thoughts, one of the Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That's repeated, by the way, in Proverbs 16, verse 25, says the same thing. Proverbs 21, verse 2 says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. And people say, yeah, it's being you, God. God understands all my faults, and it's okay that I don't go out and do all the things that you want me to do. Uh, no, it's not. God understands that you're not willing to obey and do it His way. The whole world's been deceived by Satan, according to the Bible, for example, Revelation 12, verse 9. And so people don't seem to understand there's two ways. 
Now, you might be a, a true Christian, but even at the end time, there are two basic groups of end time Christians. There are Philadelphian Christians and there's everybody else. And the bulk of Christians at the end time are not Philadelphian. And Jesus warns the non-Philadelphians that they're satisfied with things they shouldn't be, and they think they're better than they are, and they should be supporting uh, the way, the work. And a lot of people think in the world that there's more than two ways to choose from. But in the spiritual sense, that's wrong. There's only the way of God and everything that's not His way. You can't improve on God. God's eternal. He has all knowledge. We're all temporal, physical, with limited knowledge. Plus a lot of what we think we know isn't true, even if they're long-standing beliefs or traditions. And mixing false ways and then thinking all oh, their accepted traditions has affected many who profess Christ, but that's not acceptable to God. Nor is teaching that salvation is available apart from Jesus, uh, which some teach. Now on that point, let's go to Acts chapter 4, starting verse 8. Acts 4, starting verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If this day were judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Let it be known to you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, and has become the chief cornerstone. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I mention this because the interfaith agenda is wrong. The people love it. They think you're comfortable with it. Oh, this is the way to solve problems. World peace will come if we all just get along with an interfaith agenda. Well, what's the solution? Well, the solution is the coming kingdom of God. And we have a particular book on this. It's available in over 100 languages at ccg.org. Uh, the kingdom of God, there will be proper government, and people will be following his laws. Many don't understand the gospel of the kingdom. You know, Jesus was a second Adam. He came with a spiritual way of life. He was born in the spirit of God through a human mother, and he taught the way of give. Acts 20, verse 35. But the bulk of humanity, when they knew Jesus, rejected him when he was on the earth. And his way of life is still rejected by almost everybody today. Now, in the 21st century, we live in a time of awesome progress. As prophesied in Daniel 12.4, knowledge has increased, people travel. People a couple hundred years ago would be awestruck by the things that see accomplished in this century. Like sending people to the moon and back, computers, internet, cell phones, uh, all the physical and materialistic things. It seems like, as God stated in Genesis 11.6, that the human mind is limitless, in the physical realm. But when it comes to spiritual things, humans without the true God are helpless. As far as the two ways go, they're represented by the tree. One way, represented by the tree of life, is outflowing love, away from self, outflowing. The other, of course, is uh, the way to love uh, ourselves. You know, God's way, we have to love God and our neighbor. 
This is outflowing and leads us to give, the way of give. Now, some people believe that life is random, as I mentioned before, and circumstances randomly happen. As far as they're concerned, that's just it. Some people believe uh, either there's no God, or he's capricious, or random. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Well, time and circumstance do affect people. You can read that in Ecclesiastes 9.11. There's a cause for every effect. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, starting in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and he will have rejoicing himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now the above is telling us, and not just the ministry, what really matters. We should deceive ourselves think more of ourselves than is true. We all need to examine ourselves. Paul is explaining that life is not random and God's going to work things out. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1. And if you're a Christian, you can be sure that God will work things out. Paul wrote first, in Philippians first chapter, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all with all joy, with joy for your fellowship in the gospel for the first day until now being very confident of this thing he who begun who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ you will be a spiritual success if God has called you and you respond to that calling and you do not give up God will uh, resurrect you you will succeed spiritually I'm looking down here for another book that I wanted to hold up if you're not sure if you're called or not, we have a book. Is God calling you? And if you're watching this sermon, the probability of God's calling you or has called you is extremely high. Again, it's available at the ccog.org uh, uh, website. Romans 8.28. Pretty short, but I'd still like you to go there because of uh, what it's saying. I want to emphasize it. Apostle Paul wrote, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. Now that doesn't mean you won't have difficulties. Uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians 11, starting verse 24. And you say, if I have difficulties, you, you know, I must not be at all spiritual. Well, the Apostle Paul had major difficulties, and this is when he mentions 2 Corinthians 11, starting verse 24. Paul says, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. You could only, uh, according to God's law, only beat somebody with 40 stripes. They would go 39 just to make sure they didn't go over. This happens to Paul five times. Three times I was beaten with, a, with rods. Once I was stoned. 
they left him for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I've been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. And yes, we've got that today, false brethren, particularly on the internet. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I'm not weak? Who has made a stumble, and don't I burn with indignation? Furthermore, if you go to the next chapter, chapter 12, starting verse 7, Paul writes, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this things, I pleaded with the, this thing, I pleaded the Lord three times it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Well, all things will work together for good if you love God, but it doesn't mean you won't have any test trials or problems. Okay, let's Okay. For some reason, when I printed, printed this out, it printed three blank pages, but the uh, actual content is still, still here. All right, I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 10. So I don't know why I wasted three sheets of paper, but I'll use them for notes or something, scratch notes. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, starting verse 21. Jesus said, Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures the end shall be saved. Remember, if you endure, you'll make it. When they persecute in this city, flee to another, for surely I say to you, you will not have gone through all the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 24, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, don't fear them. There's nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. People will not get away with persecuting Christians, even though it's going to appear that way in this age. And... Psalm uh, 73, why don't you go there? I was debating if I wanted to cover this, but I think I should cover parts of this at least. You know, God's people can be affected by how others act. I talked about cause and effect. Psalm 73, Psalmist says, you know, truly God's good Israel to such as are pure heart. But for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there's no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. Not in trouble like other men. They're not plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They've got more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue walks to the earth. 
Therefore, as people return here, the water is full cup or drained by them, and they say, How does God know? Is there any knowledge of the Most High? Behold, they're ungodly. They're always at ease. They increase in riches. And be careful you don't think, Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been plagued and chased every morning. If I said I'll speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went to the sanctuary of God and I understood their end. There is a cause to every effect. And if you want the end to be good, don't go the way of the wicked. We understand the uh, much. Uh, we understand the way we should go. God will grant us eternal life. Now let's go to Malachi four. What's the end for those in the world that many envy? Sorry, of being uh, prideful. I've seen we see all kinds of stuff, particularly now on the, on the sexual morality side. Anyway. God's word warns, Malachi 4, starting verse 1, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healings on his wings. You shall go out, grow fat like stall-fed calves. You'll trample the wicked. They shall be ashes under your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded in Oreb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Now there is a cause for every effect. And those who truly remember God's way of life will have a better end. Is there a way to lead this life? Yes. Proverbs 11, I'm going to read verse 18 and 19. Proverbs 11, starting verse 18. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. And that's very similar to what Paul wrote in Galatians 6. Now, Proverbs 10, verse 16, probably can go there if you're pretty close to it. We read, The labor of the righteous leads to life and the wages of wicked to sin. So, there's a cause for effect. The labor of the righteous leads to life. The wages of wicked leads to sin. And what's sin? First uh, John 3, 4, the old King James, whoever commits sin, transgresses also law. For sin is a transgression of the law. As far as what righteousness is, Psalm 119, verse 172 says, My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Plan to read a few verses starting verse 15. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I will announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you 
cross over the Jordan to go to possess. I call heaven and earth as a witness against you today that I have said before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Notice, it says the commandments, if you keep those, you can to live. Now some will argue that's only for the children of Israel. Yet, the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, I'll read Revelation 12, verse 17, says how Christians, real Christians, are going to be identified. At least how God's Word identifies them. It says, A dragon was enraged with a woman, so that's Satan, enraged with the church, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Who are those? Those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, oddly, Protestants don't get this very well. Uh, here's something from the pulpit commentary, which is Protestant. We may see that in the description of reference to, to the Church of God, both Jewish and Christian, the members of the Jewish Church were those who had the commandments of God. They were specially revealed. And the Christians are those who specially hold the testimony of Jesus. Uh, no, they're the same people. The true Christians have a testimony of Jesus, of course, and they keep the commandments of God. There's not two groups of Christians that way, there's one. Let's go to Galatians 3. So as, as I said before, uh, Protestants don't truly believe in Sola Scriptura. And to know that more accurately, we have a book that I do recommend, fccga.org. Anyway, Galatians 6, starting verse, uh, excuse me, Galatians 3, starting verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized in Christ Jesus, you put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there slave nor free, or male nor female. You're all one in Jesus Christ. If you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed, and seed and an heir according to the promise. All Christians are spiritual sons of Abraham. To try to claim, like some Protestants do, that those keeping the Ten Commandments at the end are only Jewish Christians, and the Gentiles aren't doing that, that's misleading. The book of Revelation makes it clear that real Christians, in the end, keep God's commandments. It's also consistent with Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to go there, starting verse 21. Some words Jesus said. And those who profess Christ need to understand that. And I want to hold these books up for those who are not part of the Church of God or are wondering about faith who are not part of the Church of God. At least a couple, some of them here who proclaim Christianity. Jesus said, Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So just say, Jesus is Lord is not enough. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Real Christians keep God's law. His Ten Commandments. Uh, the Apostle Paul reported problems with false brethren, and John warned in 1 John 2, I'm going to start in verse 18. Little children, this is the last hour, and as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, for which we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be manifest that none were of us. 
And throughout, if you look through church history, you'll see people who changed practices that the Apostle John had toward the beginning. And that's documented in uh, these two books I keep holding up, if you want to know. Now let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 14. Because we'll see there's two different groups mentioned in the book of Revelation here. Revelation 14, we'll start with verse 9. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast or his image. Whosoever receives the mark of his name. Verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Okay, these are two Christians. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. So we've got two groups at the end. One group, a massive group that follows the world. The other, much smaller group, follows the way of God. Throughout history, there have been two main groups of Christians. There are the true Church of God Christians and all the rest who are not. And as I say, I've, I've held up uh, a couple of the books. We've got another shorter booklet called uh, Continuing History of the Church of God. Church of God has existed throughout history. Uh, we were in Matthew 7. I want to go back there, this time verse 13. Jesus warned that most would go the wrong way. Matthew 7, starting verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. I want to go to 1 John 5. Many today uh, claim that keeping the Ten Commandments is either unnecessary as a burden or they reason around them. Apostle John wrote uh, 1 John 5, starting verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot him, loves him, and is begotten of him. But by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now many have disagreed and said, you know, you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments, but that's simply not the case. If you go through church history, by the way, if you're Protestant, you look at church history, I'll hold this one up again, this one, you won't find a faith that looks like modern Protestantism. It didn't exist. Modern Protestantism is not based upon sola scriptura. If it did, if it really was, it would look like the Church of God. And you'd be able to find it in the first century or two of Christianity. But you can't, because it was it's not based on what uh, Jesus and the Apostles actually taught and actually did. But again, there's various ones who've uh, 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 reasoned around them. Uh, uh, one comes to mind, it was a guy by the name of uh, uh, Andy Stanley, he's a Protestant preacher, and he's 
says you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. And various other ones have said the same thing. Now the Bible is our instruction manual. And God didn't leave us without instructions. And let's go to Luke 4, verse 4. It's only one verse, but I want you to go here. Because this proves that this book is the instruction manual. Luke 4, verse 4. Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The right way of life to live comes from the word of God. Let's go to John 17. It's the truth of the Word of God that sets true Christians apart from the world. John 17, starting in verse 16, we have the words of Jesus who said, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them or set them apart by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them to the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified or set about by the truth. And this is why I continually challenge Protestants to read this book. Protestants are not set apart by the Word of God. Oh, they have some things they've set themselves apart from the Greco-Roman churches, and some of the, some of the reasons are biblical. There's, but it's not all based on truth. And again, I challenge Protestants to look at that. You know, it's you don't have to go to the uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul wrote that all Scripture was given by inspiration of God and is instruction uh, profitable for destruction. For I'll slow down. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I was combining the word uh, doctrine and instruction together. That the Man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is our instruction manual. It provides instruction in righteousness. It provides God's instructions, His commandments, His way of life. Let's go to the book of uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9, it's in the Old Testament. Start Cut into verse 28. You have heard from heaven, and many times you have delivered them according to your mercies, and have testified against them, that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly, and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which, if a man does, he shall live by them. Yes, it's the way of life. And they shrugged their shoulders, they stiff, stiffened their necks, and they would not hear. Again, I'm challenging those who are Protestant to check this out. And if you are Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholic or consider yourself part of the original faith and you're not Church of God, I don't think that's possible. Don't stiffen your neck, shrug your shoulders so you won't hear. As far as the shrugging the shoulders go, it's kind of interesting, some of the criticisms I've seen about myself or our church on the internet, uh, I remember one source, some Roman Catholics said that uh, we quoted the early church fathers a lot but someone said, now I'll dismiss it. They're just Protestant. They're just shrugging their shoulders. They don't want to look at the truth. The truth is, if they're willing to look, if you're willing to look, you can see what the true church is, has been, and is to this day. We also have another booklet, uh, Where is God's True Church, Where is the True Christian Church Today? 
It's also a short one, available at ccg.org. Now, why should people live God's way? Well, because it makes sense. Let's go to Psalm 119. I want to read a lot from Psalm 119. Uh, start with uh, verse 97, Psalm 119. The Bible teaches, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. So it's a cause and effect. You want to be wiser? Here's keeping God's commandments will help you. For they're ever with me. I have more understanding in all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. You've got to think about God's ways and His laws. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I restrain my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Go down to verse 113. I hate the double mind, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word, that I may live. Do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up, and I shall be safe. And I shall observe your statutes continually. You reject all those who stray from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross, Therefore, I love your testimonies. Satan's way, though, is not based on truth. Let's go down to verse 163 of Psalm 119. Therefore, I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Sometimes a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies. For all my ways are before you. We get understanding on how to live by obeying God's commandments. They teach the right way of life. And that was a teaching that drew me to the church of God originally because it makes sense. God's rules are for our good. Let's go to Deuteronomy, Old Testament, chapter 6. Starting verse 24. The Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he may preserve us alive in this day, that it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord your God has commanded us. Therefore, our good. Jesus kept commandments. Jesus said also in John 15, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. Apostle Paul said imitate him as he imitated Jesus. And John said in 1 John 2, 6, he who said he abides in him ought to walk as he walked. He kept the commandments. Um, let's read the Ten Commandments. Go to Exodus 20. And now this booklet, book, booklet uh, goes into more details about each of the commandments and how to keep them and what to mean and talks about churches who claim to teach them but reason around them. That's what the Pharisees of old did. Anyway, as far as the Ten Commandments go, Exodus 2, verse 1 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make yourself a carved image of anything, likeness of anything is heaven or above, earth beneath, 
waters below the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity upon the fathers and children, the third and fourth generation, those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not help you guiltless to take his name in vain. Uh, the lo longest one list is the next one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. By keeping the Sabbath is something you're supposed to remember. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Verse 12. Honor your father and mother that your days would be long upon the land. The Lord your God has given you. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. The seventh, you shall not commit adultery. The eighth, you shall not steal. The nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor you shall covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything at your neighbor's. Humans aren't supposed to put anything above God. They're not supposed to bow down to idols and blaspheme. Humans do better if they rest physically every week. And they also grow spiritually by doing so. Uh... Verse 12 says, you'll have a better life if you honor your mother and father. You know, who wants to be murdered? Have their spouse commit adultery? Have their goods stolen? Be lied to? Or have others want to take their possession? Well, nobody. God's ways are better for us. God's commandments are for our good. God sent Jesus because of love, uh, says John, John 3.16. And he didn't send Jesus to condemn people for not keeping the commandments, but the world through him might be saved. As Christians, we understand that. I want to go to Hebrews chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. Let's be talking about cause and effect here. Hebrews 2, verse 1, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Every transgression will receive a just reward. There is cause and effect. Do not neglect God's salvation. Live as God said to, to, to that. You know, as I mentioned before, it was reading about cause and effect and explanation about what the Ten Commandments meant. That they weren't just rules and how they were for our good that persuaded me to become part of the uh, Church of God. I was raised Roman Catholic, but I stopped considering myself that of that faith when I started to read the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. I didn't understand the commandments of God before then. And I did attend a, a Protestant church for a while. It was called the Salem Bible Church. They didn't seem to understand or properly teach the Ten Commandments or cause and effect. But the Church of God did. Later I realized it was only the Church of God's approach that was biblical. And that was consistent with what early Christians did. Early Christians kept the Ten Commandments. If you were a part of some Protestant denomination or been raised Protestant and taught not to, you don't have to keep them, that's simply not the case. That is not what early Christians taught. 
Now, if you were raised uh, uh, Roman Catholic or Greek Orthodox, etc., Russian Orthodox, Armenian Orthodox, uh, Eastern Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, you're told there's the Ten Commandments, which basically told it's okay to go work around them. That's not what early Christians believed. Now, in John 10.10, 10, Jesus taught, I've come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. Now, some people think that if, uh, if they're Christians and they keep Ten Commandments, you won't have any problems. Well, God does want you to do well. You can read that in uh, 3 John verse 2. But he's more concerned about your spiritual development than uh, physically. Uh, it's not that physical is not important, but he's got a priority for you. Let's go to Luke 9, verse 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, and that was, means stake, sorrows daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. So if, you're, if it's all, your emphasis is just on your physical life, it's not going to get you there. But whoever loses life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man who gains the whole world and is self-destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and in his fathers and of his holy angels. Our physical lives are not as important to God as our spiritual success. It's not that our physical lives aren't important to God, that they are. Obedience to God is needed. I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 5. I know this is a concept that uh, Protestants don't, a lot of Protestants don't like to hear, and um, many of the Greco Roman types don't fully grasp. But anyway, Hebrews 5, verse 8 says, Though he was a son, talking about Jesus, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Remember, we're supposed to imitate, Apostle Paul's imitated Jesus, and as, as John said, walk as Jesus walked. So there's suffering involved sometimes. Notice verse 9, however. And having been perfected, he, that's Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all who disobey him. No, to all who obey him. To all who obey him. Now let's go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. You know, many overlook the fact that God's working with Christians the way He's not working with the world. I've read Psalm 37, where Psalmist was envious of the wicked. They don't get plagued. They have riches. They don't. They despise God, and everything is well with them. You got to be careful you don't fall into that. But understand what that Psalmist did finally realize: their end. Anyway, First Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery tri trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, that you may be glad and exceed with exceeding joy. If you reproach for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. For the time is coming for judgment to begin in the house of God. If, judge, if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him, in doing good, 
as a faithful creator. Now let's go to uh, James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you follow various trials. Now that is really hard to do. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Some of you have been patient for things for decades. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives it to all liberally, without reproach, and it will be given to him. Trials come for a reason. They're not simply random. They help build character in us. I want to go to Galatians 6 again, but read something different, this time starting verse 9. Galatians 6, verse 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Sometimes we have to keep going and it's a struggle. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are the household of faith. We need to develop self-control, which is something Adam and Eve didn't properly exercise in Genesis 2, and they succumbed to lust. Uh, I want to go to 2 Peter, this time chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Peter wrote, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to glory and virtue, by which we've been given to us by an exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these things you may be partakers of the divine nature. You want to be successful, you can be partakers of the divine nature, because you can be deified in God's family, having tasted Escape, me, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. For this very reason, give all, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control. To self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness. To godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and is forgotten he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is one right way, and that those who are diligent to follow it will one day enter the kingdom of God. Let's go back to 1 Peter, this time chapter 3. There's cause and effect. We need to do good and we'll reap in due season. 1 Peter 3, starting verse 13, Peter wrote, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that 
When they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it's better, if it's the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, God has a fantastic plan for you. He wants you to maximize your potential. You can accomplish more with God than you think. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Read something that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, Philippians 4, starting verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, at last, your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to be how to abound. Everywhere in all things I've learned to be both full and to be hungry, and to abound and suffer need. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. The same is true for you if you have this type of faith. And we have a, a book, same type of faith Paul had, Faith for Those God Has Called and Chosen. Again, available at the ccog.org website. Is just believing enough? Uh, no. Let's go to James chapter 2. Uh, James is believed to be Jesus' brother. Uh, addressed this subject when he wrote James 2, starting in verse 18. But some will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was called the friend of God. You see, the man is justified by works and not by faith only. Which is the reason why Martin Luther, by the way, didn't like this particular book. Because it went against what he taught. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she receives the messengers and sent them away? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, I'm going to go to Luke chapter 8. I want to go over something that happened when Jesus encountered a demonically possessed man. Luke chapter 8, starting verse 30. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him, so they're praying to Jesus, that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that they would permit, he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. And the demons went out of the man, entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep places into the lake and drowned. The demons practiced the way of get. They prayed to get, not give. Jesus answered them, but they weren't his. Simply calling on Jesus without seriously going his way is practicing the way of get, not give. And I mentioned before, Jesus warned about those who practice law, call him Lord, who practice lawlessness. Properly keeping the Ten Commandments shows love toward God and neighbor. Some call those who believe this legalists, but it should point out not only Jesus condemned lawlessness, he condemned the legalists who claimed to love God, particularly the Pharisees. They said they kept the Ten Commandments. They were picky about certain parts, but they actually reasoned around them. Let's go to Matthew 24. Actually, 22. I'm sorry. Matthew 22, starting verse 34. 
when the Pharisees heard he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and then one of them said, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Of these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And we were in James. Let's go back to James. This time, James 2, verse 8. Because God's way is a way of love. God's law is based on love. Apostle James taught, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. James 2.9 But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, and shall stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. But he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now if you don't commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. Now Jesus is recorded in Acts 20 verse 35 as saying it's more blessed to give than receive. Jesus said there were two ways. Remember, the, he ta taught there was only one way that leads to life, and the other way leads to destruction in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. There's a cause for every effect. Now I want to go to 1 Timothy 6. Give me a moment to get there. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 3. Apostle Paul was inspired to write, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, for which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglers of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Now with godliness, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing to this world and certainly carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. He warns those who desire rich fall in temptation and snare, and in many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for some of for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, gentleness, patience. Why is the love of money root of all kinds of evil? Because it's covetousness, something that the Ten Commandments warns against. Paul said, pursue righteousness. In Psalm 119, 172, all God's commandments are righteousness. Now, in Matthew chapter 24, starting verse 21, Jesus pointed out the way the world is living is going to lead to its destruction unless God intervened. Matthew 24, starting verse 21, Jesus said, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, never shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. There is a way that leads to death, but it often seems right to people. I want to go to Revelation 22. Uh, starting in verse 12. Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. Cause and effect. You do it God's way, Jesus has a reward of eternal life. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. 
Notice this, verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates of the city, because they'll know how to live. they know the give way, the love way. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. It's a lie to believe that God does not want his people to keep the Ten Commandments. There is a right way. In Isaiah 30, verses 20-21, one of the things that resurrected Christians should be able to do during the millennium, or will be doing, will be teaching people the right way. And this is referred to in Isaiah 30, starting verse uh, uh, 20. It says, Yet your teachers will not be moved in a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers, will be the teachers, for your ears will hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or you, whenever you turn to the left. Now the, the millennium is going to be fantastic and productive because people will be keeping God's commandments. It will be on the earth. It will show people that if they live God's way, this earth could be so much better than it has been. You know, we can have struggles, but as Paul wrote Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.12, we're to fight the good fight of faith. Hold on eternal life to which we are called. We're called to eternal life. And as far as part of our reward, Revelation 5, verses 9 through 10, talks about Jesus was slain and has redeemed us to God by his blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nations. Though it's not one race or whatever. And have made us kings and priests to our God and we will reign on the earth. Have eternal life. Since physical life ends in death, there's a way that leads to eternal life, and that's God's way. There were two trees in the Garden of Eden. There are two ways of life, the way of truth, the way of the other one, which is a mixture of truth and error. There's a cause for every effect. Keeping the Ten Commandments is something real Christians should strive to do. Obeying God leads to blessings in this life, but also to eternal life for an opportunity to be resurrected and serve in the age to come. One of the things that I want to mention, and I've mentioned it in other times, is what is what is our destiny? Our destiny is to be a partaker of the divine nature. Why? So we will be able to give love to make eternity better for ourselves and everyone else. That's what we're working towards in this life. Because all things do work together for good for those who love God. Those are called according to his purpose. There is a cause for every effect. Live God's way of life and have the opportunity for eternal life to live forever, give love forever, live that give way forever. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.